On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we go to war, playing a killer game of hide-and-seek with the gnarly thriller, ready or not. Get your popcorn ready. One, one thousand. When someone new joins the family, you have to play a game. Two, one thousand. Hide-and-seek? Are we really going to play that? Three, one thousand. You can hide anywhere in the house. I know you're in here. Four, five. You have to kill you before sunrise. Six. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, rated R. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy. And joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Malhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You doing good? Now, let me ask you a question. As a married man, did your family have any, you know, traditions, rituals, things like that, that, that that you were needed to be part of, maybe needed to get the wife involved in before you tied the knot? No. That's probably... No, no. After watching this movie, it's probably a safe answer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we are talking all about ready or not. Uh, one might call it a tiny thriller uh, that has come out, just literally just came out last week, and it is directed by... It's kind of a production by this filmmaking production group called Radio Silence and they use that kind of moniker very similar to the way Lonely Island uses their moniker except instead of rap artists they're filmmakers although the Lonely Island makes you know it's the Lonely Island movie and it is made up of I'm going to try and get all these names right and I really looked up the pronunciation too but they're up and coming so it's kind of hard to find but there's Matt Bettinelli Olin there's Tyler uh, Gillett and Chad Vieja, Viella, or some Vil Vileya. One one of those pronunciations is correct, and it stars kind of a nice, I think, kind of a nice smattering of character actors. You have Samara Weaving as the main character, Grace, who's being married into the family. She's marrying Alex, made played by Mark O'Brien, and his family has they're, they're very very rich they are a gaming empire and they have a very specific ritual in which they follow every time someone joins the family and that family is made up of adam brody it's made up of andy mcdowell is the mom henry Cherney, who is like the like one of the best quote unquote that guys of the 80s and 90s like he was the dickhead colleague in Clear and Present Danger. He was the dickhead boss in Mission Impossible. He plays the dad, right? And the synopsis is just, you know, for those of you who don't know, this is probably one of the more smaller, not quite an independent film, but one of the smaller movies that we've done this year. The synopsis is as such, Grace couldn't be happier after she marries the man of her dreams at his father's luxurious estate. So there's just one catch. She must now hide from midnight until dawn while her new in-laws hunt her with guns, crossbows, and other weapons for a seemingly to, to prevent a seemingly grim fate. So 
how excited were you to see this movie? This one kind of, I thought it had a really good trailer. Obviously, it doesn't have a lot of superstars in it. It's a Fox Searchlight movie, which means technically it's a Disney release. But when we were discussing what movie to do this weekend, we were kind of on the fence and we ended up falling on this one. How did you feel about that going in? You know, I, I don't think I was one way or the other on this film going into it. I'm not, everybody knows, I'm not a huge fan of horror slasher movies. Right. That's not my cup of tea necessarily, right. or at least not top on my list. Still, there were some unique aspects of this movie that, that appealed to me. I think movies like Cabin in the Woods, which I know we'll talk about a decent amount during this podcast have given me hope for some of these films. Right. And personally, I think to me it was a, a little bit of a bigger draw that there weren't any necessarily big names in it because I feel like they're usually a little bit more creative. That Feels way. like they got to try harder. Yeah, they got to try harder. And Fox Searchlight usually doesn't just come out with your like run-of-the-mill horror movie type of thing. Right, exactly. I. It's funny you mentioned like they're trying harder because oftentimes, you know, the, the it's generally believed or gen, yeah, generally believed that when filmmakers and a cast and crew are faced with limited budget, limited casting, that they are forced to become more creative, to find more creative avenues, and that when those budgets get bigger and those actors get bigger, sometimes the creativity is what goes first because you can do whatever you want. Um, I was, when the trailer came out for this movie, I was pumped for it because this is right up my alley in terms of kind of high concept, not a horror movie. I don't, and this is kind of a conversation to have as well, but I don't consider this a horror movie, although many people would consider this a black comedy horror. These movies, in my opinion, I don't think are exactly horror movies. They're simple. They're straightforward. They're not very scary. They're more intense. There's intensity to them. More of a thriller is how I would describe them. And and I don't know why I don't I find movies where it's ghosts, jump scares, trying to be scary like those are horror movies. But there isn't anything inherently scary to me about people with weapons like The Purge. Purge is not scary to me. The Purge is an action thriller. Uh, this movie, this movie, and we'll talk about a more very similar to films like Your Next and Cabin in the Woods in that, again, they have horror elements but it's a lot of times just regular people doing irregular things, and I don't necessarily find that scary. But you're right in that this is a very stripped-down film. It's it's a single location. It's a mansion in the grounds surrounding it. It's a relatively small cast. I think there's about a dozen people in the cast max. And it's just it's it's well written. It's smart. It's not really. It doesn't have anybody doing stupid things for no reason. Um, so I was excited going into it, but I did want to talk about, I think that this, you, have you seen your next? I don't think you, I haven't your seen next. your next. You should see if you should see your next. If you like this movie, I think you'll like your next, your next very similar film in which a family goes to a, a secluded house for a family reunion, but they are sieged upon outside by killers armed with like axes and crossbows and stuff like that. The main character of that film is a girl who turns out to have been raised in a survivalist compound. So like these killers are in for more than they bargain for. She fights back. It's kind of like home alone and Rambo and that kind of stuff. 
very, very similar here. And then, in my opinion, when we get closer to the end of the film, we start getting into a little bit more Cabin of the Woods territory, or Cabin in the Woods territory, where things aren't as they seem, or maybe they are as exactly as they seem. But obviously, you said scary movies aren't really your purview. So how did you feel about this movie as walking into it as a horror film? You know, walking out of it, I should say. You know, what makes a horror film scary to you? Like I had mentioned, it's ghosts, it's monsters. I don't find these types of films scary. What about you? I think it's different. For, I think it's different than your traditional horror movie. As you mentioned, a traditional horror movie, I feel like there needs to be some kind of quote-unquote monster, even though a lot of times it's not an actual monster. Sure. So Maybe it's the monster within us or something. You know, you think Bullshit. of Jason or... You know, even yeah, Freddy Krueger or, or those types of things. A ghost, the, the, the ring girl or yeah. some, I don't remember what her name is. There's the some ring. there's something that or someone that is not normal, disfigured, whatever the case may be. Sure. That you're not really comfortable looking at. Right. In these films, you got normal people just doing obviously horrible things. Horrible things. And... You know, because even if you go to Saw, like you have Jigsaw, who's this, you a know. A guy. A guy. He's an old guy. But it's played up on the mask and things like that that you can't see. They and there's that some, element of it. Yeah, the, oh, the pig mask jumping out to get you. Exactly. They take a, hum, a, a mask by very nature takes humanity away. It makes it scarier because you're not dealing with a human. You're de- dealing with something else. That never really comes to play here, and it's something that in Cabin in the Woods, you know, even though the villains are of a supernatural intent, the humans behind them are very relatable, normal people. Yeah. And likewise, in your next, it doesn't it doesn't last very. Yeah, long. I would say Cabin in the Woods was was more horror movie than what this would be, sure. or even your next, from what I know about it. Um, I think the other thing that these movies do that are a little bit different than your traditional horror movie is that I feel like they show some restraint in the killing. Not that at the end of the movie, the body count isn't just as high. Right. If not, sometimes greater. Right. But it's not so much the focus. Like, I feel like horror movies a lot of times, like, aim to make you squirm and, like, squint and, like, try to look away from the screen when certain things happen. Sure. This one is more, like you said, has in line with what a thriller movie does Mm -hmm. in the sense that you can feel that building anticipation, that building stress, that building suspense because you think something's going to happen. Something's going to come around the corner or they're going to step on something or reach for something or whatever it be. You get that more in these types of films. And that's why I think I enjoy these films a little bit more than like your traditional horror film. Sure, absolutely. And this one has... Unlike those other films that we had mentioned, this one is different in that it is flipped. Rather than one person trying to take out a group of people or a small group of people trying to take out a large group of people, it is one person surviving or trying to survive. Like, it's in the concept. This family is hunting her, right? And there's something about that where the the body count of this film, and there is a body count, is played for last because it's largely unintentional. You know, it's it's either her 
fighting back against her attackers or her attackers screwing up yeah. as been as seen in, in many of the trailers. And that's obviously where it adds a black comedy element to it. And that's obviously where films like this, where they kind of turn it on their head and, and they're able to say, yes, this is a high concept, but isn't it cr- a little crazy? It just makes it that much more entertaining, you know, very similar to the way it kind of has its, its dark humor, Cabin in the Woods, very darkly humorous. All of the movies that we listed so far, darkly humorous in ways that really help alleviate the tension, but also make it almost, in this case, one is could call it a very dark comedy. I would say it almost doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. In the sense that it's not trying to make you believe that, like, this should be believable and things like that. Like, it, it has some some fun with that. Sure. Sure. So I did want to mention one other thing. I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, I found I this interesting. We're not going to get, we're not now, we're not going to try and get too political here, right? We always try and keep politics outside of it. And this, we're not, I'm not asking for one side or the other here, but I found it funny that um, a, a movie studio pulled a movie about hunting humans called The Hunt. I think Universal pulled it from its release. It was going to be released in early September or or late September. I can't remember exactly. But that was a movie about humans hunting humans. And they pulled it. They're like, oh, we don't want to make any... Oh, we don't want to upset anybody. This movie is about humans hunting humans. Still got put out and is pretty great. You know, not to bury the lead here, I very much enjoyed this movie. I very much enjoyed the the commentary that, you know, most horror movies have some form of social commentary in them. We've talked about that on the podcast before. But how do you feel about that? How do you feel about... I, I know where I stand. I don't feel like any art should be ever censored or pulled because somebody might not like it. Now, granted, we're talking about big studios making a lot of money. This is commercial art. But... I just am happy that this movie existed. Disney very easily could have bought Fox and said, "Oh, this is a terrible thing. We're not gonna we're, we're gonna pull it. We're not gonna release it." They very easily could have done it, but they didn't. Where do you stand on that? I know you and I differ a little bit in that. I think all art should be open and and be released no matter what, no matter who's angry or upset or, or whatever. Well, I think at the end of the day the studio made a decision on whether or not to release it. I understand there's political pressure and pressure from all angles and things like that. But at the end of the day, they make their decision what they want to do. And I think that's no different in, in this case. They decided, you know, this is a little bit more, I would say, in the fantasy world where everything I know about the hunt seems like it's it very... seems like it's meant to be more like Trying to play on realism of like this could happen, right? Like type pur- of thing. purgey, exactly. Kind of and vibe. But even with purge, you've got, you know, it takes it so far that it becomes less real. And I don't know enough about the hunt, and and obviously we, I'm sure at some point it'll be out there that you could find it and watch it if it's not. It'll already. come out eventually. I I would be shocked if it didn't come out at all. We'll see. I mean, you had some big names in there. I mean, you had Hillary Swank in it. So Yeah, you had um, Betty Gilpin from Glow in it and whatever. But again, like this type of concept isn't new. Humans hunting humans isn't anything new. It's existed for 
for forever. You know, you go all the way back. The most dangerous game was a novel written back in like the early 1900s about man hunting mad. The Hunger Games I, I was think popular. It, I think this one had more with like, unfortunately for the studios and that, like the immediate recency. Like, of course, with if we're going to have all these advertisements going on TV because we're trying to get people to go to the theaters this weekend and things like that. Like, sure. I understand showing some sensitivity. I would have expected more something like we're going to push it back to an unspecified date. Right. And it comes out in like January. But they were just like, we're canceling the release. Yeah. So that was a little surprising really? to me. But, you know, we're in a different world now, too. And like you said, from from a business standpoint, you know, nobody forced them to do so. They got negative feedback about it. They were worried. They made a business decision. They made a financial decision. It's 1,000% in their purview to do so. I just think it's unfortunate. And, and you know, that the, the, the instances and the, the situation surrounding it led to this. And I'm glad this movie still got released. Here's the other thing that made it easier to cancel. It was a fifteen million dollar movie. Like right. the budget on the hunt that was canceled and didn't come out was sure. fifteen million dollars. They weren't eating a ton of money. Like if this was a Fast and the Furious type budget right. for Universal, like yeah. they, we they're not canceling money. it. We're well, doing it. <laughs> and even though ready or not is is like you said, a little bit more in the satirical, it's a little bit more in the comedy, it's a little bit more in the social message and whatnot. It only costs six million. It's a Fox Searchlight movie, you know, it's a low budget movie. So let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about non-spoiler thoughts about the movie, David. First and foremost, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, again, as you said, the low budget, the the well-known actors who are not superstars, talented, uh, radio silence as filmmakers. I thought it all came together to make a really smart, really funny, nice, violent, darkly comedic kind of thriller movie. I really liked it right off the bat. How about you? I enjoyed it. I I thought that the the roles were all well acted for the type of movie that you're seeing. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to walk away from many of the performances being like, "Oh my gosh, they were amazing in that." Right, but also nobody was terrible. But no one was terrible. No one stuck out of being like out of place like, like this ugh. person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we've seen in a couple of bigger budget movies this year. Absolutely. And I think it also Stuck to 95 minutes, which I think is a great running time for really for movies like this and, and movies in general. So nothing seems to really drag. As much as you and I love a good two and a half hour Marvel epic, there's just something really re- refreshing about a tight 95. Well, I also think these type of thriller type films, if that's what we want to continue to classify it that's as. That's what I'm going to call it. Yeah. I think it's good to have like kind of landmark scenes where you don't go too far from like a thrilling scene. Right. And I thought this paced really well from like the humor to some Mm -hmm. high intensity moments Mm -hmm. to some humor. And it kind of paces it out because you can't have too much of one in a row 
and thriller in a row mm-hmm. and you can't have too much humor because then it feels like we're turning into a comedy exactly and you lose kind of like the gravity of the situation that we're in and so i thought it did a really good job of kind of balancing both i thought i think horror movies i've talked about this before on the podcast but i think horror movies follow a very similar structure to action movies in that you have to have something happen whether it be a horror set piece whether it be a oh the room is haunted or she's being hunted or whatever like every you know 10 minutes there's we got to have a new set piece we gotta have okay we gotta have the car scene we gotta have the barn scene we got and then in between there you have the little character moments the comedy moments that then kind of supplement those those set pieces and this movie does that really really well it balances the humor of the situation with the intensity and graveness of the situation and it's a really good balance and a lot of that goes into just being written well made it's well written it doesn't lean too far into any direction, which might upset some hardcore horror fans or it might upset some people looking for more laughs. I don't know. I thought it was really well balanced. Um, I thought <laughs> I thought that it wasn't exactly a subtle criticism on the rich. You know, the richer weirdos, the richer, uh, do, you know, do weird stuff and, and whatever, even if it means murder. Um, I, think I, it, I think it infers a little bit that to get rich and I, not that I agree with this, but I think it also infers a little bit that to get rich at some point, you kind of have to make a deal with the devil or do some, you got to do some dirty shit, dirty stuff. Right. Yep. I particularly was more um, entertained by its message on marriage, which we won't get into too deep, but obviously this happens right after a wedding. So I'm going to stay single, you know, I'm going to, my family doesn't have any rituals. I don't feel like marrying into a family that has any rituals. That's fine. But speaking of family, obviously, one of the strengths of this movie is the characters, right? It's of the, the, the actors that are involved. And I think what it does really well is it casts some f- familiar enough actors in roles that, that kind of play off of their history, uh, so like, for example, Henry Cherney, as we had mentioned before, he plays the dad in the film. He plays Tony, the father, kind of the patriarch of everything. And Henry Cherney is famous for playing that, you know, douchebag, shitbird kind of uh, pencil neck villain. Not so much a villain. He's never really been a main villain, but he's always been that antagonist. So like in Clear and Present Danger, he was Harrison Ford's colleague who was crooked and trying to keep him from finding the truth. In Mission Impossible, he wasn't a villain. He was an antagonist who was trying to hunt down Ethan Hunt. And I like that he brings that history into the role of being a dad. I really like what they do with Andy McDowell because Andy McDowell has spent her whole career being she's romantic lead. You know, she's the romantic lead in Groundhog Day. She's in all these movies where she plays this sweet-natured person with her southern accent and all that. And I love how they they kind of use that and use our pre-existing understanding of who Andy McDowell is to build on that character. I think that that's really smart. Uh, David, I have a list of family members Mm-hmm. That I kind of wanted to go through, and I wanted us to pick. Our I, I got one. I got one quick issue. Okay, throw it at me with the movie. With okay, and it's, it doesn't get into spoilers. Sure, but I just want to make the comment. Okay, I have a little issue because you you haven't had in the notes when we were we were starting to prepare for this about the geography is really well laid out. Okay, okay. I personally highly disagree with that. Interesting. So we spent close to 
over an hour uh-huh. in this house. Sure. I couldn't draw you a map of how it's laid out at all. Okay. I feel like 90% of it was spent in what seemed to be the same hallway. Okay. The, like, servant's hallway? No, 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 not that Oh, that no, 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 the main that, hallway. With, that like, main the... hallway. Okay. That okay. I... D- that sometimes it led to certain rooms, and sometimes it felt like it led to other rooms. Okay. I couldn't typically tell whether I was upstairs or downstairs, other than I assumed when I was in a bedroom that I was upstairs. Okay. Not downstairs. Sure. Uh, we went to the kitchen at one point. I don't. Right. I How couldn't tell you. There? I couldn't tell you where that was. Late in the movie, we get a flash of all these different rooms that I, most of them we never even went to. Okay. And I just, I, there's a room that uh, what's his name Fitch is sitting in one time. Sure. There's a it's bathroom like a, we sometimes bathroom. we get. Yeah. And I'm just completely lost on this i mean we know it's a massive house sure but i feel like we're in the same three or four rooms the majority and some of that could be budget wise but at the same time i can't imagine it's too much to mix in some different rooms but i feel like we go between the same three or four rooms a lot in this film and i can't really put together what's close to what like that was the hard part like she'd run out a room Uh uh-huh and i'd be like i don't know if she's in a room right next to where they're all currently at right now or if she's on I mean, this is a massive house. Maybe she's on the completely different wing. So I don't disagree with you. I couldn't draw a map of the house either. All right. So I don't disagree with you there. I do think that that's part of the point, though. I do think that that helps keep the audience connected with Grace in that she doesn't know where to go. She's unfamiliar with this house. It keeps the audience unfamiliar with this house, although we do get to understand a few key landmarks of this house, particularly the the hunting room that she go that we start in and that she goes back to a couple of times, uh, I think that that was I mean when I picture the hallway like I could probably draw you like a crappy half map of the house, but I do I, you know you're not wrong you're not wrong. I just think if I was playing hide and go seek in a mansion, we would have gone to a whole lot of there was some missed opportunities. Sure, I mean it's rich people, they got to have different funny rooms for different purposes and things like that. Sure. Like, I feel like we could have explored that a little bit we more. Could have found, like, but again, when, we kept it fairly tight. When you walk into the hunting room, it's unlike any of the other rooms you've ever been in. And it's sure. like, oh, wow. Like, what if that we did that for a different room? What if the yeah. game room, I mean, it's a game family. That's where their dynasty is built yeah. upon as being a game family. What if the room with the, you know, the billiards table had a little bit more gaming feel to it? I feel <laughs> you on that one. I get it. But the fam- I think you and I would agree that the family and the casting is probably one of the strongest parts of this movie, right? I would agree, yeah. So I'll, who we got? A, there's a long list of family members in this movie. You got Crazy Aunt Helen, who's she's got this dope haircut. She's got the windswept back, like platinum white hair. Mm-hmm. You got Fitch Bradley, who's married into the family and is kind of complaining the entire time. Like, what is this crossbow? What am I even using? You have his wife, Emily, who is on cocaine most of the movie. You have Daniel, played by Adam Brody, who's one of my favorites because he's just the drunken smartass. He's just totally nonplussed about everything. You have his wife, Charity, who's super cold and kind of callous. And then we had already mentioned, you got Henry Cherney as the father, and you have Andy McDowell as the mother. You have Grace, who's our main character. She's our wife. And then you have Alex, who is her husband, who is kind of super non like literally not into much of this at all. Who would you say out of that, out of the family, 
was your favorite character. And maybe it's not one of those either. Maybe you liked one of the help too. Because obviously they're rich. They have maids. They have butlers. They have people on staff as well. But if you had to pick a favorite family member, who would you pick and why? I think it was Fitch probably. He's I mean, the he's, funniest. He's, he's the funniest. And I, I, I tend to enjoy the, the comedy aspects of these movies. Sure. And so he was definitely enjoyable from that aspect. I also think he's very relatable in the sense that there always seems to be a Fitch in every family. Like oh, yeah. as, as family members start to get married and things like that, there always seems to be a Fitch, which that was kind of my thoughts on this family. Is it, it, and I, and I think it's obviously very much intentional. Sure. But I think these are obviously kind of extremely amped up cliche versions of family members that we get in movies and even that we see in our own families. That's mm -hmm. why they're in so many movies. But you have like the crazy sister, you've got the douchey brother-in-law, right? you got the gold digger sister-in-law, you got the overbearing dad, you got the two-faced mom who's kind of sweet on the exterior but has this dark side sure. or, or, you know, you kind of know that she's not quite everything that she seems. <laughs> and then you always have like that crazy extended relative, like a crazy aunt or grandma or things like that. And it got me thinking. Okay. Let me let me run okay. Run, let me run something past you. Okay, here. okay. I whatever you're up to, I'm, I'm into it. Let's compare this this family to the wedding crashers family. Oh, interesting. Okay. So because this feels I mean, you and I would argue, I, I think you would agree with me that there are a lot of archetypes that are filled with. Oh, this absolutely. Family. Okay, okay, okay. So, I'm, so okay. I'm going with uh we'll start out with Amy, who's the crazy sister in yes. this film. I'm going to go with Amy Adams from from uh, Wedding Crashers. Oh, but it's not Amy Adams. Or not Amy Adams. Isla uh, Fisher. Isla Fisher. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Isla Fisher. Very similar, though. I mean, redheaded actresses. I yeah, I know. I. That's my okay. bad there. That's what Anyways, I'm here for. Exactly. <laughs> you keep me on straight. <laughs> Alex. So even though we're changing genders here, Alex is like the Rachel McAdams of this family. Okay. Like the. Seems relatively normal. Right, because we're talking about Christopher Watkins. We're talking about that. Yes, Christopher family. Watkins family. The Deering, because yes. Claire Deering, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Alex is like the Rachel McAdams of this family. Okay, okay. I like this. I'm already the, thinking the, about this. The dad, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Dad to dad. Intimidating. Kind of intimidating. Stately. Very kind of stately. Yeah, you know. You know, traditional from sure. a lot of sense. Sure. But seems very relatable at times and uh -huh. friendly at times, but then also kind of like, you know, as he it's not just another just not just another notch on your belt. On your belt. We gotta do that. Mom, Dr. Quinn. Yes. Seems super nice, friendly on the outside, but then she also got kind of a crazy side. Kind of a crazy side, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um Okay. Whenever she's around the dad kind of you know, takes a backseat to whatever crazy things he's wanting to say and uh -huh. do and that kind of stuff. Uh, Charity would be like the Bradley Cooper of this. <laughs> okay. So, like, you're not really sure why he is married or engaged. Right. Or why with. does anybody like this person? Why is this person part of this family? Uh -huh. Seems to, like, only want to be in this family for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, Bradley Cooper is trying to marry into... Trying to marry into this rich family, okay. the senator's family, you know, all that good stuff. Sure. Helene, easy comparison. Crazy grandma, Helene. Yep. You know, right on the same yep. path. 
Okay. And then lastly, Daniel, and this one may be the maybe the tougher one to sell you on. Yes. But he's the Todd character. Okay. He's the anti his dad. Okay. Loves to push his dad's buttons. Uh-huh. You know, at the end of the day, they're still family. Uh-huh. Still stick by each other. Oh, man. But he's like polar opposite to who his dad is. See, now I would argue that Alex is actually more like Todd. Okay. Because Alex in this film, who's the husband, she, he's the sure. one marrying Grace. Alex in this film is the one who isn't going through tradition. He's not following the family. He's been away from the family and he's coming back. He's known Grace for only a little bit of time. So he's kind of the black sheep. And Todd in Wedding Crashers is definitely the black sheep. Sure. So that's one comparison I might I might challenge. I might see. And, and the reason I went with Adam Brody's character, which is Daniel in this, is mm-hmm. that he doesn't really seem to want to be part of this family. Sure. Like, sure. As much as he is part of it and goes along with it, he's just uh, he's nonplussed. He he's kind of looking for opportunities to piss his dad off. Right. Which he, I feel uh, like yeah. is similar to. To Todd in that sense. That's very true. I like that quite a bit, actually. <laughs> I like that comparison quite a bit. Um, God, that's really funny. See, I would have to map everyone out. And, I, I, and I, I'm I would, sure we could do this although, with. I'm sure we could do this with a lot of movies. Sure. That was just the first family, like that had enough family members that I that could, could really go direct comparison. Sure, with this. like we, if we really wanted to get crazy, and we we won't because we don't have the time, and I don't think I have the. I don't have the cast list in front of me. You could also compare it to like Christmas vacation family members too. You know? Sure, you could absolutely. definitely do that. Um, I love. I, you know, I would be hard pressed. I think Fitch was my favorite, but Adam Brody is really good in this he movie. Is. He's awesome. He's really good in this movie. I really like his character. We'll talk more about spoilers. Um, to wrap it up, though, like we'll talk more about the the gore. We'll talk more about the set pieces in detail. I thought there were a couple of really good set pieces in this film. That there was one in particular in the middle of the movie, and I'll just say it's the barn sequence that was truly like, oh, 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 like it's green, you know, it's it's that kind of what you said. It's the wind scene. It kind of makes yeah. you want to look away. It's bloody, but it's also because, and this is another reason why I think it's a thriller. It's mostly guns. It's mostly weapons we know. It's guns or crossbows. It's not. Like Jason wielding a machete or Freddy Krueger with his razor knife gloves or a knife. There's something visceral about that, right? I, I think it's also how they treat the blood in this film. Like every film goes about how they use blood in different ways. Sure. Like some it's like exploding and it's all over the place and, you know, they get a close up of, of the blood splatter and all that right. kind of stuff. I feel like this. Probably isn't as bloody as it could be with some of the oh, things that no. happen in it. Sure. You know, and, and we'll get into that in spoilers. But it, it feels very restrained, even though there's a ton of blood in this film. Like, right. it's still, in a lot of places, feels very restrained in its use of blood, which I actually liked because I feel like it, again, it, it kept itself from going over the top and really trying to be like, what a lot of horror movies are where it's like, oh, my gosh, and right. all that kind of stuff. Right, exactly. So let's give us let's give the popcorn ratings for Ready or Not before we get into spoilers. Let's talk about our popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. 
if you've never listened to the episode, if you if this is your first ever episode of the Popcorn Diet, we give our ratings a little bit differently than every other podcast. Instead of giving stars or thumbs up, we give it a popcorn, and we have different popcorns for different ratings. Burnt popcorn means a movie is garbage. Don't waste your time, even if it's free. Stale popcorn is if you can avoid spending money on this movie, go ahead and do it. It's not really worth pain to see it's kind of just eh. microwave popcorn is middle of the road it could go either way it's fine the best microwave popcorn is pretty good and satisfying um and the worst microwave popcorn is just it, it's okay but it's middle of the road your mileage may vary movie theater popcorn means you should probably go see it in the movie theater you should probably go check this out it's good time in the theater and then perfect popcorn is go out and see this movie as soon as humanly possible and if for whatever reason any one of our ratings falls in the middle at any point in time we like to give it a soda so we like to say it's microwave popcorn and a soda or something like that so for ready or not david what do you got for your popcorn rating you know i'm actually going with uh four popcorn for okay. this okay i think it's it is it is as advertised. And sure. I think if anything, it actually probably over delivers on, on what I saw in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some disappointing aspects of it, which I'll talk about. Um, but it's not so much that it takes away from my enjoyment of the film. Sure. If you're not into these type of, of movies, I think you could do worse seeing this. Right. Like, I don't think it's going to be exactly what you think of when you think of like a horror movie or that. Like we said it's more of a It definitely thriller. plays against type some, it, in some aspects. It's not your traditional type. So if you get dragged into this and you're like, I hate horror movies, like I don't think you're going to walk out of it disliking it. No. Now, on the flip side, if you're a traditional horror person, you may not like this movie as much if you don't have as quite an open mind to different takes on the genre. So, But for me, I enjoyed it a lot. It's a movie that... Because it's 95 minutes and it's tight and it's fun and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, I'd see it again. Like, if someone was going to it and they asked me to go, I'd be happy to go again. It's not one I'm avoiding. Um, and it's one I'm happy I saw in theaters, too, versus watching at home on on a TV from that standpoint. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, a big part of it is the cinematography is very dark. I've seen a lot of times on on. on on good old Twitter where people are complaining about dark cinematography in their homes because it's difficult to see. And when you're in a dark theater, it's a lot easier to, to, to see everything in a movie that's happening here. I am right there with you at four popcorns, but I'm going to bump it up and give it a Coke as well for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is an original film. It's not, it's not trying to reinvent the wheel, but it just does what it does very well. And as much as I love franchises, I love Marvel, Star Wars, I love DC, give me more franchises, give me more Jurassic Park, I I put that stuff directly into my veins. I do think it's important to, to, to support original movies in the movie theaters, to go out and see them in the movie theaters. Oftentimes, movies like this will make their money in home video and and uh, streaming and that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But I'm giving it four, four, uh, four popcorns. Not really four, but I'm giving it movie theater popcorn and a, and a soda because it does what it does really well. It's really funny. It's really violent. There are a couple of really, really intense scenes. I think that it has some really good iconography there. We'll talk about that a little bit more. The acting is really good. And it's just a simple, well-made, sleek 
you know, little gnarly, funny, bloody thriller of a movie. So that's what I'm giving. I'm giving it movie theater popcorn and a Coke. And obviously, we got to talk a little bit about spoilers. But before we do, we're going to take a quick little ad break. Hey, good movie buddies. Before we continue, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of this podcast, The Popcorn Diet, delivered to you for free by subscribing or following wherever you're listening from. We really appreciate you just taking a second, literally one second, hit the subscribe button, give us a rating, write a review, share us with your other good movie buddies. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast this is not only by throwing a few bucks our way is it going to help us improve the podcast but it's going to give you tons of patron only content such as early access to ad free episodes additional episodes such as our franchise refills our perfect popcorns and our oscar primers so check that out by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, Oscar predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But David, a movie like this, it behooves us to talk spoilers a little bit. Um, mostly, I thought, so I read a couple of reviews about this movie that praised inventive kills. And that's actually something I disagree with. I don't think the kills are all that inventive in this movie. As a matter of fact, I think most of the kills are played for comedy. Uh, would you agree? Like, I'm trying to think of the body count. Kill, right? Kills were actually one of the issues that I had with this film. Right, because you have one maid that gets shot in the head accidentally. You have another maid that gets crossbowed in the face accidentally. Mm -hmm. You have one maid who gets crushed in a, in a dumbwaiter accidentally. Yep. You have the, I guess the butler died in the car crash. And then you have what happens to the rest of the family. Yep. Well, then, like, Adam Brody gets shot and stuff like that, but... But he gets shot in, like, a way that, like, would happen in any movie. Right, it's like, not... it's not an inventive It's not way. super egregious. It's not very horror movie-esque in a lot of its kills. Yeah, so from that standpoint, to me, one of my small nitpicks with this film was you saw two of the more inventive ways that people are killed, I guess, like... In the you trailer. get like the unexpected. You shot the maid <laughs> right. in the trailer, but then and then and even in, and even in one of the trailers, you see the crossbow one to the face. Yeah, and so you saw two of really the three quote unquote inventive ways to kill someone. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that the dumb elevator or dumb waiter is uh, is kind of telegraphed a little bit, sure, as well as it's something that we've seen before. And that was one of the examples I was going to bring up of them showing restraint. Like a lot of other horror movies would have been like. Let's decapitate her. It like, yeah, like it actually decapitates her or even right. it cuts her body in half sure, or something, something like that. And you see like all this blood spew out in that. And that's what I actually really appreciated. Like it didn't go over the top with that. Even when the the one maid got hit in the face and the other one got shot in the face, like like the it was never over the top. Like, right. Like the one maid gets shot in the in the mouth with a crossbow bolt. And then the, it's funny. It's played for laughs where she's gurgling while they're trying to talk. So the aunt goes over and chops her head off with an axe. But that's not shown either. It's not shown until the end where they hold the head up. Yeah. Which I appreciated that at least we got a severed head out of the deal. Yep. 
Um, so I I was in I found that interesting in that they didn't lean so far into the horror aspect. Well, and of you it. had the other kill when she kills the mom, but that's more of like a rage type. Oh kill yeah, she d- I with forget. the box. She that's beats. not. That's not like an inventive way. That's like a crime of passion type of right, exactly. Moment. And you get a good shot of the mangled face and whatnot. Um, but what was your? If you had to list a favorite out of all of them, and I'm including the end, which is probably going to be the choice. But what would you say is your favorite kill? I mean, to me, these? it's definitely the end. Um, <laughs> which I don't know if we should pause there and talk about. Now nah, that nah, f- screw it, let's go. Okay, let's let's talk about the end. Well, I mean, we can we can wait to get into the details on it. But to me, like we talk about how it's restrained in 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 the blood and, sure. and the gore and that and kind then, of stuff. And then you have this ending, which is why this <laughs> ending works so much better. Like we haven't been over the top on blood. Uh-huh. Like every person who's gotten killed hasn't been done in some crazy bloody way. And then and then you get people start exploding like blood balloons, literally exploding. And and even in that. They don't go like too. I mean, it's obviously crazy and obscene, but right. Like but I was thinking it's not like we've got like particles of people everywhere. Right, they not do. Bones. They do have a couple little chunks there and stuff like that. But, but it's like you officially say like, okay, this movie is ridiculous. Kind of like a couple of the moments in late in Cabin in the Woods sure. where you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. Right. Well, and and that's the thing is, and that's what I think. This movie has a couple twists in it. This is one of them. So we'll talk about it. In in the film, there's all there's this doubt being cast. The whole point of them hunting down this girl. So let, let's just lay it out for those who just want to be spoiled for it. Every night they do this ritual to play a game. Not and every night. Every time someone gets you're married. Right. Every added time into someone gets family. married, they bring the new family member in, and they have to pick a card from this box. And this box is led all the way back from generations ago. This box is from. Some guy whose name was Mr. LaBelle. It was on a boat with it their was, it was great, on a boat great grandfather. And their great, great grandfather great. made a deal with Mr. LaBelle that if he could figure out the box, then Mr. LaBelle would fund any endeavor of his, right? So it is led we are led to believe that Mr. LaBelle is the devil, and their great grandfather made a deal with the devil for them being wealthy, for their family's wealth and inheritance. And in payment for that, they have to make any new member of the family play a game. And sometimes the card that pops out is innocuous. It's chess or it's old maid. But every once in a while, it's hide and seek. And hide and seek means the family has until dawn to hunt down this new family member, sacrifice them to the literal biblical devil, or they'd all die. And so that's why they're hunting Grace is they think that they have to do this or they'll all be killed in their pact with the devil. And throughout the film, people question it. Oh, this is there's no way this is real. Right. Because they've only ever had to deal with it one other time mm-hmm. when they killed Aunt uh, when they killed the, the crazy aunt's husband Aunt uh, and Helen, which we see at the very beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. Yep. So nobody really knows if it's real. And at the end, we're initially led to believe that it wasn't. They don't kill her. Dawn, the sun rises, and they're all fine. But then they start exploding like meat bags. And it turns out that the curse was real, the deal with the devil was real, and everyone gets blown up. And that's very similar to the way Cabin in the Woods is like, 
okay, all of these things are not only real, but there are literal like titans living under the earth that'll destroy the earth if these people are not sacrificed. Yep. That's how it ties into Cabin of the Woods. And your next, I think the reason that it's very similar to that is that it telegraphs, telegraphs the other twist, mm-hmm. uh, which is in your next, and this is spoilers for your next. You don't care if I spoil your next to you. Spoilers for your next, which came out in like 2012 or 2014 or whatever it is. But it turns out that the assaulters, the people who are killing the family, were hired by like the shitty brother and his girlfriend so that they could take over the family wealth. At the very, very end, though, the survivor girl finds out that her boyfriend is in on it. Her boyfriend is one of the sons of the family. And so she kills him, too. She's, oh, you were in on it. Like, you were in on all of this. You got to die. And he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And then she gangs him. Very similar twist here, but a little bit different in that Alex spends the entire movie trying to help her. Mm -hmm. And then spends half of the movie handcuffed to her. And he has a heart-to-heart with his mom. And his mom's like, I don't believe that you would pick her over me. And then she, not only does he see his brother die... But he sees that Grace murders his mom, and then he turns. He mm-hmm. grabs her, and he's like, you're never going to be with me after this, are you? And so he's like, she's in here, and then he turns. How did you feel about that twist? At first, I didn't buy it, but the more I thought about it, I bought it. Yeah, I think it was telegraphed a little bit in the sense of you had that moment where he says, when he's talking with, I think the whole conversation with his mom made me believe that that was upcoming. It was possible for him to choose. Not even the possible, family. but it was actually going to happen. Okay, because um, he seems pretty into like, I hate my family. I've been away for a while. I love Grace. She's the love of my life. But he talks about things like, and I've got this in some of my late questions too. But you can kind of talk about it. This, but he says like, when I was slitting the throats of goats as a kid and it didn't feel weird it felt normal. like that that was out of any nowhere because to me like they had played it up to that point like this family was normal except for this one tradition right like they were a normal rich family except for this one tradition and that made me feel like okay maybe they're not normal maybe they're like regularly making sacrifices like that's where i had like the sure. question like are the goats for like when someone doesn't pull the hide and seek card sure. and they have to sacri- they sacrifice a goat instead like i was a little confused on that yeah that's especially, a good especially, that's a good point yeah. especially when he made the comment about like how it didn't feel weird like how i could be doing that and it didn't feel weird and then his mom made the comment about how you know i know this person's known you for 18 months i've known like you really think they know you better than i do right like all that kind of led me to believe that he was going to turn. Plus, I didn't. I didn't truly believe anybody in his family would kill him, and I didn't feel like right. he, I didn't think this was going to be a movie where the two of them walked off into the sunset. So, it kind of felt like it was always coming to me. Well, and it's also set in the premise. You know, if the premise is true, like if the premise is true and she survives the day, he dies no matter what. He's part of the family. Exactly. If the premise is untrue, and it's like a then what, you know? It's kind of like we get the last like 30 seconds when the ant is like, we're going to kill her anyway, you know? What would have happened? 
Yeah. What would have happened if the family all stood around while nothing happened and she's standing there? Well, they're obviously going to have to kill her anyways because they she's can't. A witness. Ri- she's a witness. Yeah, right. you got to clean up your your dirty laundry. Your dirty there. laundry. I, I appreciated how not only did this film explode everybody, but exploded two kids too. Although they were slightly off camera, they took them off camera. But there was still a, a shower of blood from with from within the doorway. Yeah, and they made sure that it was like three. I don't know if you noticed that they made sure it was three separate kind of blood explosions, blood explosions. It's that. And it's just like there wasn't a lot of unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of people in my theater, which kind of makes me sad. But at the same time, the people who were in my theater, most of the time were very vocal. They were just like, oh, my God, like which is the perfect type of reaction for this movie. Absolutely. Now, I have another I have a couple of questions. I know you have some questions, too, but I have a couple of questions. The first is. You and I have relatively larger size families. We have cousins and different brothers and sisters and stuff like that. The whole premise of this movie is that everybody in the bloodline and everybody who married into the family apparently gets exploded, right? Because mm-hmm. you have because you have Fish Bradley who blows up. He married into the family. You have the two seemingly well, one of them is not innocent, and I appreciated that too. How. Emily started talking about, like, my kids don't deserve to die. But they kind of do. The one kid narked out on Grace. Well, he not only narked out on Grace, but when they brought them in for the ritual, when they had to replace mom and whoever the other one was. Right. They're into it. They're like, the one's got his eyes covered by mom, but the other one's like, yes, 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 yes. yes. (laughs) Um, So my question is, do you think that there are, like, cousins out there somewhere? Do you think that there's like a brother or sister out there somewhere who was just like living in Des Moines who just randomly exploded well, at that, 6 a.m.? That was kind of my quote. One of my, you know, it's probably one of those you're never going to know type questions. Sure. My question was how many times have they done this? We obviously know the number of times they've played a game based off of the people that are in the room. Right. So you had. The two marriages that were in the room, you had the Helene in the beginning. Uh-huh. So you had three times previous before from what we saw. We would assume mom and dad went through it. Right. So that's four times before this. You get the feeling like this has happened way more than just four times. Sure, at least. Um, and so you wonder... Like you said, maybe a bunch of people blew up all all across all across the world. But you also wonder, like, how close to the bloodline do you have to be for it to affect you? Sure. Do you just have to have their last name? Do you have to have like, like, does a third cousin that's never met any of these people blow up? How right? Or does or is what we saw in the mansion the fact because we saw what mom dad. Two brothers, or is it just people who have participated in the ritual at some right. point? I would, I would, I would go down the line of it's probably just people who have participated in the ritual at some point. Yeah, I could. I mean, I could see it. I could also see like if the Williamson family participated in it, there is literally close to a hundred people in Wisconsin that would have blown up, <laughs> just turned into blood, just literally. Literally a hundred. I have so many. My dad has Papa Williamson, good friend of the podcast, has 10 brothers and sisters who all have had at least two kids, some of them three, some of them four. And now those kids are old enough to have had kids as well. So we're talking three, at least three generations of Williamson populating the majority of Wisconsin and some of Arizona. 
there had been a lot of exploded bodies. That's for sure. Now, let me ask you a question, David. Do you think this could be a franchise? To kind of wrap it up a little bit, do you think that the odds of it making enough movie to get a franchise is... Well, it's, I think it, it's not great. I mean, it doesn't need to make a ton of money. It only, it only costs $6 million. Right, and so this, it makes this will, 20 This will easily make $25 million, I It makes a profit. You. Maybe. I don't know. It, it'll make it... If anything, it'll make its money back on, like, home, home it, entertainment. It, it'll be a profitable movie. Um, but so could my, it be? My opinion on if it... Well, it always can be in this day and age. Sure. I don't think we'll, they'll make a sequel out of anything, <laughs> even if it shouldn't be made. Uh, that's true. But I would say if you're going to do a sequel, you got to approach it one of two ways. I think you have to. The The challenge always is, is your big reveal is done. Yeah. Like we saw the dude in the chair. It's definitely LeBain the or devil. whatever his name. It's right. definitely the devil. You saw that people indeed do blow up if you don't commit to these rituals. Yep. So like that whole reveal is gone. Kind of like Cabin in the Woods had that challenge. And I know there was always that rumor that Cabin in the Woods was going to have a sequel. There was sure. always that rumor of that sequel for a while. I don't know if it's still out there, but How, it's hard when it the yeah. it's hard when the reveal is already there and you know what it is. So I think what you would have to do is you'd have to find like another rich family and they'd have to have a different tradition. Okay. Because you can't go back to the game. Okay. Unless you went back to the game, but you picked a different game. Okay. Like we don't want another game of hide and seek. Sure. So I was thinking. Ooh, what games what, could are, we what play? other games could we? What other childhood games could we play that could be turned into like a murderous version? Like you can't play like a murderous version of checkers. Then they even gave chess as an example right. of like or old maid as one. Right. Like what's a game from your childhood that you could play that could be somehow spun into like a <laughs> big murderous so game. So there I mean there's a lot obviously. Now you could do like a duck duck douche goose, you could do cops and robbers, you could do Red Rover Red Ro Red Rover Red Rover would be really interesting actually. You could do that as something crazy. I'm going to I'm going to flip it though, which is the deal with the devil was made and the deal was I'm going to fund whatever endeavor it is, right? So what if just other people had other endeavors outside of games, you know, that were then funded? And that's what I'm saying is if you found another rich family and it was a different gimmick Right, what if games. it wasn't games? Like, what if they were, I don't know, what if they were an automotive family and, you know, we got to do a car race and one of you's got to die or something? I don't know. There, it, it would just be hard because this is very specific. So right. I don't, don't want a haphazard remake of this because this no. was this was smart it was you know as we talked about streamlined it was you knew enough of the mythology for lack of better term to follow along but there was also enough gray area that you could kind of accept certain things sure and i think that's tough to do again when you already know the premise of it now samara sees the ghost of mr labelle at the very end there's a flash of fire and you see him sit really actually subtly really well done yeah you know it doesn't get too deep into the supernatural but i would also think that that grace has to be the main character like it's almost like ash from the evil dead where ash just keeps coming into contact with with these demonic deadites that he keeps fighting because there's that one shot of 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 grace in her torn up 
uh, wedding dress, wearing her yellow Converse sneakers with the shotgun and the bandolier. That's like a cosplayer's dream right there. Like if I was a skinny blonde chick, I would, and I don't mean that disparagingly, I mean that's a, a good thing because this is a good cosplay. I would cosplay the, the hell out of that. That's just a great costume to go as at Comic-Con ass. There you go. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I... I'm into more high-concept thrillers like this. Even if it's not a continuation of this, I am interested to see what else Radio Silence does. This this is only really their second or third movie. They've done kind of some other stuff. You know, they've done stuff like, I think they did a movie that was called Southbound. They did a movie that, they did this. They did part of one of the scenes of VHS. VHS and VHS 2 are two horror anthology movies that are really gnarly as well. So I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they do. But yeah, I, I really like this movie. I think you should check it out. That is going to do it for this episode of the Popcorn Diet. Again, I want to remind everybody that you can get free Popcorn Diet episodes delivered to you wherever you're listening just by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Share us with your friends. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Consider becoming a patron of the podcast and get early access to ad free episodes and additional episodes like our franchise refills and our perfect popcorn episodes. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on The Popcorn Diet. Adios.